Thanks for tuning in to the Lively Joy podcast, where me and my guests talk about everything to do with living your best life longer. I'm your host, Sherry. I hope you're having an amazing day today here in Columbus. It is 70 degrees and it's sun's out and it's beautiful. Today's guest is Jocelyn Crowell. She's a professional photographer, a published author, and a podcast host here in Columbus, Ohio. She follows her dreams after a lot of setbacks in her life and tries to do her best to inspire others to keep moving forward. She says, follow your passions in life and don't let anything or anyone get in the way of following them. Even if you have multiple dreams, don't give up. You don't know how close you are. So she's full of motivation and uh, has been through a lot, but she's come out the other end and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast. So let's get started. Well, hi, Jocelyn. Welcome to the Lively Joy podcast. Thank you. I've got your book here in front of me and I will put the uh, link for it in the show notes. A very interesting book. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book. So I am a professional photographer and published author now, which is still crazy to say. I think it's been like six months now since the book came out. I had started writing that book eight years ago. It definitely was a labor of love. And I thought at the time when I started writing it that I was just going to like knock it out and it would be done. Mm -hmm. And I realized like over the time frame that I needed, especially after I wrote it, that I needed to write it over a long period of time. Like it made more sense as a progression to see myself heal and grow and not just inspire people from the current state that what I was experiencing when I was going through difficult times. Because even like looking back and writing the book, like I finished the whole book in the spring of 2021, but there was an emotional aspect that I wasn't taking into consideration from reading the book from start to finish in the spring, because I had wrote chapters and blips throughout the years. And then when I compiled it, it just kind of overwhelmed me. And I was like, wow, this is incredible that I grew so much and it wouldn't have had the same impact if I had tried to write it when I was going through everything, even though I was writing it when I was going through everything, like it was a buildup of Sometimes it takes years, sometimes it takes decades, sometimes it can take a few weeks, you know, but putting it all together at once was just kind of a whirlwind for me of like, I can do this, anybody else can. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, because I think if you would have just wrote about the beginning part of the book and not put like probably the last two years in it because it really changed it from, you know, being, having a really hard time going through some rough moments to, you know, living your life now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had stage four endometriosis and I battled it from when I was 12 years old to essentially 25 with having no idea what was even going on with my life. Um, I was just a pincushion at the, at the hospitals and doctors. Every time I went, it was like, oh, you have this, you have that. And then they do a test and they're like, oh, you don't have that. Like I got diagnosed with IBS so many times. I was like, my bowels are fine. <laughs> like It wasn't that it was, it was a hundred percent my reproductive organs. And I, that was also something that we couldn't figure out until we had the longevity of it and going, you know, well, it's every month on a certain week that I'm having problems, but everything else is fine. Like that's not IBS, like that's reproductive issues. So time is a struggle for me because you have to 
you have to wait sometimes for your answers. And I think people, especially in a world that we are such an instant gratification world, um, we can get on Amazon and buy something and have it to our door. But with doctor's offices, like you're on their time and you're on your body schedule. And unfortunately, um, as I talk about in my book, I didn't have the greatest doctors. Um, and some are very dismissive of me because of that time in the world, there wasn't as many resources. People didn't really know what endometriosis was. And it was very much a hush, hush topic to talk about. Like nobody wanted to talk about periods. And I'm like, everybody's, <laughs> everybody experiences this. Like, why are we not talking about it? So I think in the process of that, it helped me become more open because you have to get comfortable with it. And things that I see now with my photography clients, I don't have children, but so many women will be like, oh, once I had kids, you stopped caring about that. Or like they, you let your walls down to be more vulnerable about things because you've had doctors poke and prod you. And I think that that happened to me a lot because um, I had to be comfortable with talking about it and it affected my work. It affected my friendships and it just consumed me. And laying in bed gives you a lot of time to think of things that you want. And I think that that's when I just would sit there and focus on the future and know like I've got to follow the things that I'm really passionate about and follow my dreams and goals because that's the only way I'm ever getting out of this rut and this bed that I was in all the time for being so sick. So how did, I'm always interested in doctors because what you're saying is so true that, you know, they're giving prescriptions and, you know, you really don't know what the problem is. How did you happen to find that doctor that helped you? So it's actually a really incredible story with it too. Uh, I do mention it in my book. I went through nine different doctors in 13 years. And my last doctor that actually helped me is a pure angel. And I've referred so many people to him and he was kind of a weird fluke. I had been in the emergency room. I had a cyst that had ruptured and I was at the pool one day and the hospital had called me back and they were like, we're kind of concerned about your results on your last cyst that we found. It looks like you have a history of having ovarian cysts, but this one looks a little bit different. And we just want to do more um, testing on it and make sure that it's not some type of like cancer. And I like, I remember I was sitting at the pool and I'm like, I was supposed to have a nice pool day here. And now I'm just stressed that like, I've never had it that, that worry or concern. I had had a bone biopsy, bone marrow biopsy when I was 19, they thought I had leukemia and like I had some other health issues going up before we figured out that it was endometriosis. It was causing so many other health issues going on. And they just was like, well, your joints are swollen. We're not, we're not sure why your joints are swollen. We're going to send you to this doctor and this doctor. And it was just a rat race of like going back and forth to all these doctors. But in reality, it was just endometriosis. We just didn't know it was affecting my whole body because of how bad it was. And um, this was just a little bit different to me because at that point I was like, well, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose my reproductive organs to cancer. Like, um, it wasn't cancer thankfully, but I had followed up with the doctor that I was going to, and I didn't pick the doctor. It was who was in my insurance and who was referred to me. And so like, that's who I went to. I'm not a person that says this very often, but I didn't like her. She just wasn't a good person. And we were sitting in the room and I'd had so many problems with my left ovary that I was like, can you just go in and take the left ovary? Like I have a right one. Like I'm miserable. Like literally this is consuming my life. And she was just like, normal people don't ask to have their organs removed. And I just 
felt so much mm-hmm. anger because at that point, like I am normal. Like you're not listening to me. I was just in the emergency room. They're concerned. You just want to, ha- she wanted me to come back and do um, another ultrasound in three to six weeks and see how it was then. And I'm like, well, if the emergency room called me and concerned, why are you not concerned? And I'm telling you that I'm like in debilitating pain every day. Like I have worked in a corporate job. Like I had to get up and wear high heels and business and be professional and boardrooms and meetings and presentations. Like I couldn't, couldn't be sick. I didn't have the time to. And she just was very dismissive. And she wrote me two scripts and I was like, what are these for? And she's like, oh, one's an antidepressant. I was like, I'm not depressed. And she was like, I'm pretty sure you are. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I'm just tired of doctors that aren't listening to me. So I went into my corporate office job and we had like an inner office where it's like AOL instant message chat where you could talk to each other. And one of my coworkers, Andy, um, I don't mention him by name in the book, but he was in there and his wife and I shared the same birthday. So like we were always just friends and everything. And he sent me a message and he's like, are you okay, Jaws? And I was like, no, like I was visibly upset. I've been crying and I'm like, I I don't feel well. And this other doctor, like I was just in the emergency room and then this doctor dismisses me and they don't want to see me another again for another four to six weeks. Like I'm just going to wait for this cyst rupture. And so he sent me a message to the doctor and uh, I called the doctor right then and there. And I left a message with scheduling and a nurse called me back and she was like totally grateful for him to find him. And it was a weird fluke of a horrible doctor (laughs) made me cry. And somebody (laughs) in my work just was like, you need to go to our doctor. Like he had to, that doctor had delivered all three of his kids and one of his kids was born on, um, Christmas Eve and I went to the hospital to see him like they just became my friends um so I got to essentially like see the handiwork from the my doctor because like it was also who delivered his baby too so like it was just cool that he's touched so many people's lives and brought kids into this world and helped people and unfortunately I did not get to have kids and that was something that was emotional to me but uh, I would, I honestly don't think I would still be here today if he hadn't helped. You know, I, I know there are a lot of good doctors out there, but I, I really think that more doctors need to hear this and to change. My brother lived with me for a while. Um, it's been probably a year and a half, two years. And he came from Florida because my mom passed away. So he came to stay with me until I found him apartment. Well, he, you know, he said he had a shoulder problem, his shoulder hurt, you know, and then it got really bad where he would just sit and hold his shoulder and he said, something's wrong. And then he was taking like probably 10 to 15 ibuprofen a day. So he he was taking the ibuprofen and uh, the pain was still there. So I said, okay, let's go. We're going to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room and they did an x-ray and they came in and she goes, well, no wonder you're in pain. You have a broken shoulder. Wow. shoulder blade. And so then she goes, we're going to do a CAT scan. So then they did a CAT scan that came back in and they said, well, he doesn't have a shoulder broken shoulder blade. We think he has frozen shoulder. So you need to go see your doctor. So I took him to his regular doctor because he didn't drive. So we went to his regular doctor who referred me to an orthopedic doctor. So we go to the orthopedic doctor and he get he said, well, I think it's frozen shoulder. You probably need to have some rehab. And we put a, they gave him a um, some cortisone in the shoulder blade without doing any testing or anything. 
so then, you know, a couple weeks later, he's in severe pain. He's, he's like, he can't, we're getting ready to go to dinner. And he, he's just bent over in pain. So I said, we're going back to the emergency room. So we go back to the same emergency room and this guy comes out and, you know, I tell him the story and he said, he looked at my brother and he goes, you're not leaving here till we find out what's wrong with you. You shouldn't be in pain for this long. So, I mean, again, the same mm -hmm. kind of story that, you know, you get all this runaround and for months he's in pain going from doctor to doctor and he had cancer, bone cancer, and was eating his, his wow. bone and his arm. So part of his bone was missing. And how could they have not found that? I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of times, like, I think that doctors can be really great. And I tried to reiterate that in my book where I didn't want to say that I hated them all. But um, I think a lot of times they're not with you. They don't know what's going on. They're not with you every day. They're only with you for a few minutes. And I think a lot of times, too, people like essentially white coat syndrome, you get nervous, things don't, you know, if you have high blood pressure, and then you go and your blood pressure's fine or something, they're like, Oh, you're fine. And you're like, but for seven days, it was high, like, they don't take in consideration that your nerves are different when you're in the office, because yeah. you could get a life changing diagnosis. And that anxiety that sits behind medical things, uh, doctors don't really see it because they're not there with you after the fact. They're not there with you while you're going through all that illness. They're only seeing you when it's when you're at your worst. You're not thinking of all the other symptoms you've been experiencing unless you've wrote them down or you have somebody that's there with you that can reiterate and say, you know, well, this happened to her on Tuesday. You just forget about things like that because your mind is just focused on the pain. And yeah. I think a lot of times doctors don't take that in consideration and they're just dismissive. And unfortunately with the opiate crisis, a lot of women with endometriosis have suffered majorly because people think that they're just seeking pills. And I, I will say this as for as long as I live, I am so incredibly grateful that I never got addicted to pain medication because I've had a lot of health issues from being on like a leave. And, um, I even talk about in my book that I was taking Advil, like it was candy. Like I was just in such bad pain and I have had stomach ulcers from it. I got gastritis from them. I had kidney issues. Like I've had a lot of health issues because of how much pain meds I've been on, but I've never had an addiction problem to any of it. And I think that like, I'm so incredibly grateful for that because most of the time I didn't want to take pain meds. Even after my hysterectomy, they were like maybe a day. And then I asked to switch to low dose Vicodin and they were like, are you sure? Like you've been cut open. I'm like, I would rather not take any of this. And they're like, that's kind of crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm I like you, I would have said the same thing. I, I would have cut it off as soon as I could or, yeah. you know, way down a lot lower. Yeah. So I was supposed to be in the hospital for seven days. I was in there for four and I pretty much just took Vicodin when I got home for like two or three days, but I had felt the best I had ever had felt. So I didn't need the pain meds. You took the pain away. <laughs> That's what yeah. the surgery did. Thank so. you for listening. Finally. Yeah. He's a blessing. And I like great doctor for sure. Good. Well, I, I found, um, made a note here in the book and I'm going to read a little bit and then we Absolutely. can talk about it says, I have too many things I want to be. I have gone through too much shit to give up now. <laughs> I want to open my photography studio. I want to write a book. I want to inspire others to keep going. I want to do all things right now. I, I read this and I was like, that's me. 
I want to do everything. I want to, I want to do photography. I have a fitness business. I want to do a podcast. I want to do YouTube. I want to go out and hike the world, you know? So there's so many things. And I think, you know, a lot of people were actually lucky, even though it's, it's in a way it's, we're lucky in a way we're not, because I feel like I get overwhelmed and I'm not real good at anything because I'm spread myself too thin sometimes, but I feel like other people don't have a passion. And, and I feel like you need a passion. So I, you did talk about, you know, the change and, you know, how you got there. So can you talk a little bit about how you found that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, it was just weird. I got really emotional when you were reading that uh-huh. to me. I haven't heard anybody else read my book to me. So that was kind of crazy. And it's very true. And like, I can remember those moments of like, I felt very trapped in my mind because I have always had a huge drive and the only thing you can really do and what's crazy. And I know that like, this is going to sound super weird in 2022, but I didn't have internet at my house for years either because just wasn't something that was obtainable to me at the time. It wasn't something that um, there wasn't a lot of options in the apartment complex that I lived in and it was just really expensive and uh, between medical bills and everything. So I didn't really have internet phones were like not where they're at now. It was flip phones and we didn't even have phones at some point. So it was kind of crazy that like, I didn't even have a TV. So when you're just sitting with your thoughts, not feeling well, it is almost like a way of like soul searching and you're alone with your thoughts. And I don't think a lot of people are alone with their thoughts anymore. They start getting anxious with their thoughts and they'll get on TikTok or they'll get on Facebook or they turn on Netflix or Hulu. And there's so many different avenues that people can get on to escape. And what they really need to do is escape in their own mind and figure out what makes them happy. There's a movie, I think it's Runaway Bride, uh, Julia Roberts. And she, I think it's the right movie. My sister will be mad if I quote the wrong movie, but um, she's a movie buff. But essentially like her relationship ends and she didn't know what kind of egg she wanted. And I remember just watching that video. Every guy that she dated, it was like, well, he likes scrambled eggs. So she likes scrambled eggs. And he liked, Uh, I know I'm not an egg eater, but like all the different types of eggs. So once that she realized like, you know what, I need to find out who I am and figure out what kind of eggs I like. And that was just very profound to me because I'm not really one that goes from relationship to relationship, but I do go from like different things that I love doing very frequently. And I have to figure out which ones that I love the most. Like I absolutely love drawing, but I don't get to draw as much because that's not like, that's a something that I like doing. And now I've categorized that is like, that's a hobby for me. Everything else is a business and a purpose. So like, I'm glad that I have a bunch of different talents, but really it was just being in isolation and thinking to myself. And after 2020, (laughs) I feel like a lot of people should have probably done that and missed an opportunity. And that's when I set out my goal of like, okay, well, I need to finish writing my book. I want my own podcast. I have some other things that I'm in, in, in the process of planning to and looking ahead and, uh, that time that you get to spend with your own thoughts can be very revealing of the things that you're passionate about is instead of asking yourself, what kind of eggs do you like? Ask yourself, what makes you want to get up in the morning? Like what makes you find joy? Uh, I was working this past weekend on a project. I sell journals on Amazon um, and in my gift shop and whatnot on my store. I love creating them. Like it brings me so much joy 
to take a photo that I've taken and put text over it, design something that looks pretty and create something that I know somebody else is going to take and write down their dreams and their purpose and their goals and their wishes. And to me, it's just so much joy. And so I feel like if people focused on the things that brought them joy instead of things that don't, a lot of times people don't want to let go of things that are holding them down or like that's their normal. They forget that. And I think that that's what I learned with my endometriosis. I had to make a really hard decision and I don't take it lightly. I still get very emotional about it. I really wanted kids and I had a sign on that dotted line that I couldn't. And so I had to let go of the life that I had to build a life that I wanted because I was not going to have a life if I didn't. Yeah, that that would be really rough. Not in very good place in my life, um, in relationships and friendships. I had a lot of friends that unfortunately, as soon as I told them I had to have a hysterectomy, they were like, oh, I thought you were just making this up. And they, I was the last I heard of them. They just left my life. And I'm like, you just thought I didn't want to leave my house? They're like, well, everybody gets cramped. And I'm wow. like, yeah, that's not what endometriosis is. So it was just a really crazy time in my life. And I think knowing that I had goals and aspirations still there in the middle of my mind, every time something happened, I'm like, can't lose sight of that. I can't lose sight of that. Like I said earlier with instant gratification, people think that like, oh, I'm going to start this and it's going to go great and it might go great, but it might take a year. It might take two and people give up. And I feel like right before it gets really bad. And I, I talk about that a lot in my book, <laughs> like rock bottom has a basement and you will find it. And then right after you do something amazing always happens. And I think that that's when people give up is yeah. they, they give up right before they get out of that basement. Because another little place in your book, okay, it says, what if no one wants me to photograph them? What if I can't pay for a studio? What if no one will read my book? I want to write, but what if they do? Yeah, I love that. Because what if they do? You know, you can't, you can't just stop or you can't just not do something because you're afraid. And I think that is a lot of um, people's problems, you know, you're afraid. And I do the same thing. I'm not good enough. I've had two YouTube channels and I don't like putting myself out there, my face out there. That's why I like to do a podcast. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's a fear for me, but you know, what if, what if I would have put myself out there years ago when I started the YouTube channel, where would I be now? Who knows? So, you know, we, we have fears and, you know, as long as we can, we're fearful of something, find a different direction and, and do something else. Fear is a very fun topic of mine that I like to talk about because there is a lot of things like, I think people think fear and like they think Halloween or spooky, scary things or skydiving. They don't think of it as sometimes people have a fear of leaving their home. Like we learned that in 2020 and they have a fear of, if, of getting an illness and they have all of these fears that keep them from following a dream or a purpose. And it's scary. Like, it's super scary. And I think that, like, I'm a leap before I look kind of person, too. And I think that that kind of helps me. But with my studio, it was something that I had wanted. And I had, I, it has not been easy. You know, we had mandates that closed the doors, you know, infl inflation, all of that, too. And photography, as you know, is, is a luxury. It's not a necessity. And it's very possible that someday that there might not be a studio there. 
but that doesn't mean that I don't not try. And like, it's crazy to me how people put so much thought into what other people think. And you just have to say, screw it. (laughs) I don't know if there's kids listening to you, but that's not what I wanted to say. Like you just have to go after what you want. And people put so much thought into what other people are going to think. And I have a very big platform on a lot of different channels and it's terrifying sometimes. And I'm like, I really hope I don't fail, but if I do, I'll just try again. Like there's always tomorrow. And if there isn't, then that's where my story ends. Like I'm not going to not do something because somebody might not like it. One of the things that I think is very telling is when people are always like, well, I don't want to wear that because somebody else might not like it. Or somebody will make fun of me for wearing that. I don't dress for them. I dress for how I am. And I think people need to have that mindset with their goals because it's very possible. For example, if you love playing the piano, but if a spouse of yours doesn't like the piano, then you're not going to play it. And then all the people in your life are completely deprived of that music that you're supposed to share because one person stopped you from that. And who's to say in five years that that marriage fails or, you know, other things come into life and you've given up on something that you're supposed to do because somebody else stopped you. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, social media is hard because so many people are so critical on social media. Absolutely. And and they really, you know, if, if you have something bad to say or you don't have something positive to say about something that somebody posts, then don't say anything. Yeah. You know, why do you have to make that person feel bad? You know, so I think social media is hard. And, you know, the kids that are on there all the time, I'm sure they get it all the time. Absolutely. And I think, too, there's so many trolls that, like, they just think it's funny. And I feel bad for them because their life has to be so miserable to sit there and talk bad about other people. I have a hard time sometimes. Like, they'll just say awful things to you for no particular reason. I got called fat the other day on one. I've told somebody was like, your hairline's receding. And it was, I, I look at the count, it's like a 13 year old child delete. Like, of course I delete them, but I told my friend, I was like, I'm really glad that I know that these aren't true. And this is just somebody else that's probably jealous because they may be wanting to do something and they don't know how to do it. And so they resort to, it's just like a child when they're throwing a tantrum if that child actually could use their words and tell them what they need and express those emotions, they'll probably stop throwing the tantrum, but they just get in trouble or get sent to their room and they don't get to talk about how they're feeling. And essentially that's how I look at trolls is, is like, they're just throwing a tantrum because they don't know how to express what they need. They're just jealous of what somebody else is expressing themselves or showing themselves or showing up in their business. It's sad that not everybody is strong enough. There's been a lot of like social media content creators, if you will, or influencers that stop posting because it gets so mentally draining to them. And I've stepped back numerous times on things, especially uh, in 2020 and 2021. It was just very overwhelming to see all the other things that people were saying on other comments. So there is a time and space where you need to walk away and take a break from social media. But you're absolutely right. Like It is definitely hard for all the negative things that people like to put out there that make people afraid to do things but delete is a great button it is (laughs) i even one time contacted the person that made a comment and said could you please delete that comment yeah yeah absolutely i actually did that yesterday it's funny you said that 
somebody tagged me in something that it was just supposed to be a joke and I knew that it was a joke, but to me, it was not something I wanted to be associated with. And I just sent him a message. Like I removed, I removed the tag, but I didn't want my name on it. And I was like, Hey, like, I know you didn't mean any harm by this, but I just don't want my name associated with it. And I'm not mad at you, but you need to remove it. And they're like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. And I'm like, um, it was supposed to be a joke, but I take my health very serious. And it was like a joke about health. And I'm like, Mm-mm, don't want to be associated to it. So um, I think finding your voice and having boundaries is a huge part of what I think people need too, because it's okay to say something to somebody, even if you don't know them in real life, like, Hey, send them a message and be like, it's not okay. What you said, like, maybe they'll block you, but at least you stood up for yourself. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you're in the place that you are now because it seems like you're happy and your business is thriving and you have a new podcast, which is called? Uh, it's just the Joss and Crowd podcast. So <laughs> my name has been my business. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny because somebody was like, what if you ever get married? I'm like, oh, my business will still say my name. But um, with my business being Joss and Crowd Photography, and um, I do also do education for photographers. So it's Joss and Crowd Education. I just ran with the Joss and Crow podcast to stay in line with that. And if people Google Joss and Crow, all of my things come up. So it was a little bit easier. I had found cute names that I wanted to make, make my podcast. Um, Talks too much in class was one that I oh, really I wanted like because I always got in trouble for talking <laughs> in class. But I feel like I just wanted it to be in line because I am my brand. I am my business and I am my story. So it's the Joss and Crow podcast. I love that. So I like to ask everyone, is there a book that you've read that's changed your life? Oh, just one. So or a couple you can. It's kind of funny. Um, in my book, I talk about having severe dyslexia. And I was just talking to somebody about this recently that I probably and I used to be embarrassed to say this, but I'm not anymore. I probably didn't actually read a whole book until I got audiobooks, which was in the last four or five years. I did not enjoy reading. Um, I pretty much loathed it. Even if it was just a magazine, it, the amount of anxiety that I would get trying to read. I read my friend's daughter a book the other day and I was like, I hope I don't screw it up. And I'm like, she's four. Like, of course, she had the three little pigs memorized and she was <laughs> definitely like, that's not his name. I'm like, what did I miss? But it, reading was a huge thing for me that just was, a, it takes me so much longer to read something. And audiobooks kind of changed my life because I can listen to a book in a day. I can listen to it while I'm working, editing, all the things. And I feel like I went down a, how many books can I read? And I think I'm not even at a lot now, but a cumulative on audible, I think it's like 10 days. I think I'm almost at 11 currently listening to the Bible from start to finish. And that's 30. I got 37 more hours to go on that one. But so specifically on a book, it's kind of hard to break it down to one, but of course the Bible, I feel like that needs to be um, said that that has been something that has changed my life. But um, Tony Robbins has been a huge, huge, huge impact on my life and my business. I think anytime I have a bad day, I'm like, I got to put Tony on, got to get Tony in my ear because he can just really lift me back up in his spirits. So like he has a lot of books, but I've read them via Audible and I listen to a lot of his podcasts, but have you read his um, new book? 
the life force. I, yeah, I think that's it. It's, it's more about wealth and health yes. wellness and fitness. Yeah. I have made it through like half of it. I haven't read it yet. It's definitely a different vibe than all of his other books. But I think that he created it in 2020. I didn't know he had a child. He had a daughter uh, in, I think, 2020, and he wasn't supposed to have children, and they didn't think he could because of his tumor that he had on his brain, and his wife had some issues, and so I think he was 60 when his first child was born. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think, like, he changed his whole thought process, especially because of how, you know, the pandemic was going on so bad that people were trying to find things to be healthy with, and so his new book is geared towards more health. And things that you can do to prolong your life because he wants to be here for his daughter's graduation and like when she gets married and stuff. So it was definitely a shift from what he normally is used to talking about, but he still mixes it in. And he had other lot of other guest speakers on there. I think some people might not be ready for the things he talks about. And some people are probably like, I already knew this. So I think it's just kind of a meet where you're at kind of book and take what you need. I haven't quite finished it, but... There's not much Tony that I don't love. He's just a great spirit. But his story is actually one of the a motivation for something that I want to do. Uh, If we have time, just to reiterate this little part of why I started my business. Somebody asked me one time what I what my ultimate goal was in my business, like long term goals. And it was a boss I had. And it was boss that I happened to date. And we didn't acknowledge that we dated while I was his employee. We just pretended like we didn't know each other. So we met <laughs> afterwards after I left and went to into photography. And it was funny. We joked about like how we never acknowledged it. I was like, I was being professional. Like this was my job or whatever. He's like, I love that you left corporate world to go follow your photography business. But like, what's your ultimate goal for your business? And I just paused and I was like, I really just want to go in and buy groceries for people without having to worry about what's in my bank account and have that feeling when I walk by somebody and like, you know what, maybe she's having a bad day. Like maybe I should buy her groceries just because like starting a business, you don't always. And like, I started with nothing. Like there were days when I I looked like I had my shit together and I was hungry. (laughs) Like there, you have to, you have to make sacrifices on things and like crackers are cheaper. So like being hungry, I think was one of the things that kind of motivated me and I would love to just go in and randomly like I want of course have a budget but like I would love to be able to feed people and not just people that um, are in need because we don't know when people are in need Mm -hmm. you can you can have a woman that is dressed in designer clothes and have nothing in her bank account and be hungry and I want to be able to feel that and know when I need to help people and so that's been a big impact but Tony was very similar to that story and I think that's probably why I attached to him when I first started listening to him, he had like $16 to his name. His mama kicked him out. He was super young. And he was like, I have $16 to my name. I'm homeless. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he was walking by somewhere. I think he stopped in to get something to eat. And there was a little kid there and his kid wanted to buy the meal for his mom. And she's like, you can't do that, honey. You don't have any money. He's like, no, I pay mom. Like he wanted to do something for his mom that would be impactful for her or whatever. And Tony was observing him. And so he just took out the $16 cash that he had in his pocket and gave it to the kid and was like, buy your mom lunch. And she's like, oh, you don't have to do that. And he's like, no, he's like, I walked out of that place so happy and joyful knowing that that kid could buy food for his mom. He was like, but then I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do? I don't have any food. I don't have any money. 
So he sat down and he wrote a list and he wrote out all of the things that he wanted in life. And he was like, I didn't care if it was extravagant. He said, I wanted to be a millionaire. I wanted to have a helicopter. I wanted an island. I wanted to travel. I wanted to motivate oh people. And he said it was six months to the date that he had all of He's like, I remember flying in my own helicopter going, wow, I hope that kid's still buying meals for his mom. So, like, I think that Tony Robbins is my... <laughs> He's, I love that. Yeah, he's an incredible. Yeah, and I, I, I love giving back too, and I feel like it's really important to think about. You know, there are a lot of people out there, animals as well, because I'm an animal lover. Yeah. So I like to do charity and uh, yeah, you know, events and stuff like that for for different organizations, and I volunteered for a lot of different places as well, which I'm not doing right now, but I'll get back to that. Yeah, that's awesome. I think too, like people don't take in consideration animals are a lifeline for people especially with me like I have my dog's heartbeat and her her paw print tattooed to me um she was a huge part of my life and my health and she was there for me every step of the way she passed away like two months before her 17th birthday at the end of 2019 but animals are like there's so many in need and they are like Everybody keeps asking me if I'm going to get another one and I'm not. There may be a time and place in the future, but it's just not for me right now. But I still want to help animals and I'm always looking to see. I'm like, oh, well, so-and-so said that they needed a foster dog and this person needs a foster dog. And it's like connecting people to different people. So I think people don't realize that they can help in so many ways without actually spending any money or actually taking care of something, just connecting people. I think that it's, you know, again, there's volunteering is a wonderful thing to do if you if you don't have the money to give to people or yeah. to give to animal shelters then you know you always have some kind of time that you can spend uh, to help somebody or something absolutely yeah well great well thank you for being on the podcast absolutely. it was thanks for having you. me and i'll put all your information in the show. thank you for taking your time to listen to the lively joy podcast Check out the show notes below with links mentioned in this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe. That helps others find the show. Feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. And if you'd like, you can also follow us on social media. See the links below. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time with more on living your best life.